do it. Hello, welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name is Luke Morris. I work for a big wine company. And I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine there company. There we go. Today, we're going to talk about, what is it, Italian wines. And we're just going to answer a question from the audience. Uh, but first, um, Luke Campbell, what's been happening in your wine week this world? This, this ah, Pal, what's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Thank that's you very, very, very much. I, it's, um, I was uh, in my downtime over the weekend. I was flipping through magazines and just reading. And there's an annual event that happens every year. And I, it piqued my interest, the International Wine Challenge, which happens in oh, yeah. London about this year, every year. Um, and this year, there, there, was, there was some judging, but nowhere near the magnitude of um, judging that normally happens. They normally spend about 15 days judging wines from all over the world. But this year, they included the world's best vineyard category for the first time. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Craggy Range was 11. So Craggy Range is effectively the best, the most perfect vineyard in Australasia as far as it finished 11th. I was, I put it to you. Yeah. I, I, I've been to Craggy Range and it's a very special part of the world. In, there in Hawke's Bay, New Zealand. But is it the most beautiful, prestigious vineyard in Australasia? It's, Luke well, Morris. I don't know. I don't know what the qu- criteria was for the award. I'm, I imagine it's not just based on beauty. Otherwise, the uh, Duo Valley would have everybody beat every corner of that uh, lovely stretch of land or Burgundy or maybe um, I haven't been to... Um, Bordeaux, but everyone who has just tells me lovely picturesque uh, uh, churches and steeples everywhere, Um, or maybe Alsace. If we're just basing it on that, I mean, I don't think the Adelaide Plains would uh, meet too many criteria for just beauty, but I I assume the criteria is really about the quality of the fruit, is it? The... the, the, um, Viticultural it's, it's techniques. Combined with, it's combined with, yes, viticultural techniques, spectacular positioning all, all, all round, but beauty plays a factor. But my, my, my question wow. is, Australasia, in, in Australasia, it, I mean, I, I can think of some pretty spectacular looking vineyards in, in Australia. Like, we don't really have to go too far. Like, you and I both know Paradigm Hill in the Mornington. Oh, yeah. Um, Lou Knight's Granite Hills Vineyard in the Macedon with all those massive, beautiful, big boulders on it. Um, gee, the Ivanhoe Vineyard in the, in the Hunter Valley that's nestled into the Broken Back Ranges there and it's in that scalloped, um, almost amphitheatre of Shiraz up there behind Drayton's. Or the, the list goes on. Like There's some pretty spectacular vineyards out there. And it, I, 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 I would go as far as to say they're equally spectacular, if not more spectacular, than that of Craggy Range in the Hawks. Am I barking up the wrong tree here, Luke Morris? Well, having, having not been to Craggy Range uh, in the Hawks Bay, I can't really argue for or against them, uh, apart from saying that you'd have to judge that there must be some larger criteria at bay than just the appearance of it. Um, if if you're just going on appearance, you could stick a, a a vine in the middle of the Louvre and win every day of the week. Why would you? 
and, and, and well, it would, it would also be something that would be almost impossible to change every year if you went back next year and and Craigie Range wasn't eleventh. What had happened? Did has there been a dump truck left by the side of the road somewhere? What, what was a vine leaf out of place? How did they change the settings? Did, when the when the judges came along, did the person who was showing them around snot on their hand and wipe it on their jumper? What was going wrong in that year that has dropped Craigie from 11 to 12? Well, it, for the purpose of this conversation, if we're talking about most beautiful vineyards, mm. like I, I think I think Craigie Range is beautiful, you know, no, no question there, not arguing, but I think there is many more beautiful vineyards than Craigie Range. Like I was just, I was a little bit dumbfounded, admittedly, like you, I hadn't explored and deep dived into the criteria. But one of them was um, definitely one of them was uh, appearance and uh, easy on the eye. That was one of the criteria, but not all of them understood that. But yeah, I just thought I think there's been a few other vineyards hard done by here. I mean, does we haven't even spoken that, about the Margaret River. Does haven't even spoken oh, about man. Tasmania. Oh, but does well, yeah, the, the vineyard that's oh, I was going to say, is it attached to or part of Mona? Is it there or is it off? The side from Mona down in uh, Hobart. And yeah, the St. Matthias Vineyard, the original, yeah. the original vineyard. It's off to the side. You drive up through it. Yeah. Um, I, I, yep. When I went there, I went on the. Uh, That's a pretty spectacular vineyard. I think it was, was it the catamaran or it was the, it was some sort of on the ferry port? on the ferry? That was it. Yep. Beautiful trip down to there. Mm. And you're going to tell me that um, Craig yeah, and the Jer- Hawks the Bay River. is better. I was thinking, did they include the uh, cellar door? If they're talking about if they're just going to go on looks and ambience, they might as well talk about the degustation meal on offer or the. Uh, oh, I want to say the appearance of the right staff. How 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 nitpicky are we going to go on the surface level of the quality of the vineyard? <laughs> no, I, I think as you as you correctly identified there earlier, it's the, the ambience, the 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 geology, the geography, but also the cellar door. I don't think we go as um, uh, we go as deep dive is the the personality behind it. You're not going to tell me that tits uh, out for the boys to do with the wine produced. Tits out for the boys vineyard isn't going to take first spot every uh, meeting of the international wine challenge. <laughs> Best vineyard. I am not going to tell you that. I'm I'm not going to say knowing those These vineyards uh, have got much more personality. <laughs> I'm not going to say knowing those sorts of competitions that might be a surefire <laughs> way to win, but. Knowing those competitions, that might be a surefire way to win. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. No, no. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why you have to include oh, that section. Into the, I don't know why you have to include that section into the the the, the, the appearance into the quality of a vineyard. I, I, and and even then, you've already got the uh, Jimmy Watson Award for best fruit. Now, Jimmy Watson Award isn't for best wine. It's really just for best fruit out of barrel. That exists, and that's a good indication of whether or not the vineyard has been well cared for, and whether or not the the harvest has been well done, that's a sign of good quality viticulture. 
driving around and seeing whether or not there's the any Jimmy Watson in between the row is not a good sign. The the Jimmy the criteria for the Jimmy Watson is best young wine, is it not? I, I always was told. Isn't that the criteria for the Jimmy Watson at I, Royal Melbourne Wine Show? I, I, I led that to believe young is in um, yeah. for first year and it, minimal winemaking. So it wasn't a finished product. A wine could win the Jimmy Watson Award and That's then right. three, yeah, yeah. three years later actually be released. And yep. that, that was often a, um, an argument against the status of the Jimmy Watson Award because. Anything could happen in that gap. It shouldn't because you've got once you've got yeah, good fruit, you when, should be able to make when, good when wine. When it was, um, and it was because um, they recently widened the criteria. It's no longer um, first year finished. It's like two year old finished wines, and ah. you're exactly right. It had to be finished so they 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 because um, they they tightened it up. Ah, well that that makes sense because mm, yeah. I do remember there was uh, grumbling about uh, wine quality changing in time. And that was within the rules. Let's go now into this week's to, topic. To, to the uh, topic of Italy. Question. Yes. Italy. What is it? I don't, I don't particularly get last, into Italy. Last, la, well, last week you kind of hit a raw nerve with me, like telling me you don't really get Italy. And I, as I mentioned, Spain's a little bit of a one-trick pony, really. No, it's not. Keep After going. I left our little pod last week, I got to thinking and I got asked this question recently at a dinner, where would I see, if, if I had to decide between Italy and Spain going forward, what would the best value drinking be? Like not age worthy, not seller worthy, not super wines, where would the best value be? I had to begrudgingly answer Spain because Spain uh, is experience a massive renaissance of young vignerons really going back to the ground zero yes. and championing championing what uh, they love to do. And it, it's come along leaps and bounds. But Italy, what is it? Italy, there's thousands of great varieties. There's oodles of choice. Whether you're – Italy's famous for giving us things like Pinot Grigio, Suave, French Accorda, Italy's answer to – Champagne, you know, it's it's the reds, it's the reds of Chianti or Montepulciano or Barolo. We've spoken plenty about the three Bs on our program, Luke, over over the time: Barolo, Burgundy, Bordeaux. When it comes to Italy, it's about the good old faithful BBC: Barolo, Brunello, and Chianti Classico. These are the destinations for wine lovers. You can't go wrong. No matter what you pick out of Italy, you just can't go wrong. If you don't understand tannin and acid, this is a great place to start. If you love acidic red wines, this is a great place to start. If you love fresh and vibrant and textural white wines, this is a great place to start. Up and down the Italian peninsula, there are many and diverse styles for drinking, and you can't go wrong. Are they as great a value as Spain? No, probably not. But they are delicious all the same, and they are just made for Italy's culinary devices and culinary meals, culinary, what's the, what am I looking for? Food and wine matching, Luke. You can't go wrong. Italian wines, you just can't go wrong. Food and wine matching is, is a great place for 
Italy. Um, it's when you talk about f- wine with lots of acid, and, and that's a that's a great sign of something that's going to balance well with uh, food and get you get your juices, your uh, saliva flowing, and get you interested in in eating something. I, th- one of the issues I have with Italian wine is that it's not. I find them hard drinks by and large as an you know relaxing individual product. They they do tend to need food. They mold well with food. All of Italian wine culture seems to be geared around the food that goes with it, which is different to the you know the bacchanalian approach of just having a drink. And that's that's probably my crime. That's probably well, my, wait, wait, my, my annoyance with Italy is that if I take out a Chianti, it's uh, it's hard to drink on its own, and it's the Buolos are hard to drink on their own, and Super Tuscans I can I can get into. There's some nice soft plushness on there. <laughs> you're, you and me both get into Super Tuscan, but I, I think <laughs> herein lies a problem, which is the crux of the podcast, right? The culture of drinking, and the drinking that surrounds us. Like we we have a culture of drinking, so you and I, we're looking for something utterly gluggable that we can just drink down. But Italians, for instance, right back to the Phoenicians, effectively in the fourth century, had food first. They planted the grapes for food, then they made wine out of it to go with the food. Like it's it's all about the food. The different regions specialize in particular wines because. They go with the food. Um, I think that I think you've I hit think the nail on the so, head there. I, I you know, as as a, as someone who lives alone, it's hard to uh, find a bottle to share with somebody, and the food that goes with it. Because halfway through the uh, second glass, the food's gone, and I've got the rest of the bottle to drink. That's why I need something gluggable. Mm. But if I'm gonna th- let, let me let's follow on with your um, uh, the knowledge that okay, turn wine needs food. I'll throw some Italian styles at you, Campbell, and you can tell me what the food goes with. Mm. Let's start off with some of the easy ones and the ones sure. that I can think of straight off the top of my head. Chianti. Well, Chianti is all about tomato sauces and, and, and pastas. And, and, you know, like if we're in Chianti, they would serve it up with a Florentine, a Bistecca Florentina, right, which is the uh, effectively the Chateaubriand of Italy. It's a, it's a steak to be shared. It's made from a particular type of Chianina beef, which comes from Chianti. Um, but other than that, yeah, tomato-based pasta, meatballs with fennel and tomato sauce, um, these kind of things. Chianti, that's that's about the gist of that. Good. I'm, I'm happy with that answer. Let's, get, let's question, go to the next one. Yummy. Uh, Barolo. Well, Barolo. Barolo is all, all about your heavy-based stews, your big, rich dishes, your truffles, your black truffles, your white truffles, your pasta with truffles, homemade egg pasta and mushrooms. Um, Barolo goes really well with duck. It goes really well with that, um, you know, your you porchetta stuff with mushroom duck cell and, you know, drizzled with its jus. Barolo is a typically very tannic, very acidic beast. So you really need something gamey and something rich and fatty to hold up to that because the tannins and the acids, mind you, will break that protein down. So it is, Barolo on its own would be considered a really, really, uh, like 
aggressive drink, Luke Morris, but you you need to have a fair amount of protein to be able to appreciate the Marolo, um, whether that be yeah your pork, your pork, your goat, your, your duck, anything gamey would work well, venison particularly, and then, yeah, truffle, mushrooms, these kind of things. See, now you're talking me into it because, as I said before, trying to drink a Barolo, just a glass, <laughs> just by itself, after I've, had a, after I've had a meal or before, it's hard going. But if you want to throw some duck in front of me... and, a, and a You wouldn't do it. Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that. Uh, and while we're in Barolo, can, mm. can I just uh, roll over and just say Barbaresco? Are we talking, you know... Nearby friends. I mean, are we talking Absol- the same sort of food match? Absolutely. So it's it's northern it's northern neighbour. Traditionally softer. Traditionally aged a little bit younger. It likes yeah. You, you could you could roll over into that, but the dishes would become a little bit more simpler, if not more refined. So when I say simpler, you know, l- less sauces, slightly less protein, maybe not quite as gamey. Um, but yeah, you you could you could pair it equally. Um, as, as similar, definitely. Let, let but one s- of the best things, having visited Barolo a number of times, one of the best meals I ever had, pure and simple, was fresh egg made, almost uh-huh. fettuccine, yeah. just with butter, salt and pepper, and black truffle. It was truffle season, but oh my gosh! And I was thinking, this is not going to go well. We were in a top restaurant, and it was so simple. It just highlighted everything about the glass in front of you. Ah, well, that's one of the tricks, isn't it? Uh, I, Mushrooms. The old, Mushrooms will do that. The old saying well, yeah. with uh, pizza production is less is more. You just want to taste the, the, the flavours that you've got there. You don't want to try and dominate too much. And as you said, if you can create a food that matches with the wine, you're expressing both of them. That's not that's yep. more Without or less the goal. Uh, Let's, I'll throw another red grape, uh, not red grape, but um, style to you. And uh, Amarone, yeah. big, rich, uh, usually oh. sun-dried fruit that then winds, finds its way into a bottle. Uh, and, and it's dried after it's picked, so it bags up, as they say in the classics, and, and just uh, heightens the sugars with inside the berry. You wind up with some fairly rich Amarone wines. What am I going to pair with that? Well, I mean, some of the best food matches for Amarone, it's a very, very distinctive style, as you've quite uh, adequately described there. But you kind of just want, you know, like something like something braised or braised beef or strong cheeses. Uh, like if we were in Veneto, they'd just simply match it with like a, a Parmesan risotto, something in the Scots, and they, they might make the Parmesan risotto, but they'll garnish it with gorgonzola, um, which is like their sweet blue cheese. Um, but anything, you know, veal cheek, oxtail, short ribs, brave short ribs, Ooh. Chinese brave short ribs and amaroni. Oh, mate, you're talking, you're just talking a love language right there, Luke Morris, like, just get in. But Emeroni's favourite part is lamb, spring lamb, and certainly up there. Uh, I can't think of the name of the lamb, but, um, yeah, but it's pretty sensational. The local dish up there is pasti di caval, uh, which is effectively a horse meat stew, which is equally delicious as well. Probably doesn't sound um, really delicious to a lot of 
our listeners, but ha- having eaten it, it, it is, um, yeah, it's not too different from the likes of Oxtail. You know, it's it's got hints of, you know, they do it in this kind of balsamic vinegar kind of jus with loads of stock and, oh, it's, it is pretty awesome. Good stuff. All right. Yeah, I remember asking the waitress, I said, what, what was in this? And she just gave me the, <laughs> I was like, that's got to be horse. <laughs> I, I spoke very little Italian at the time and she didn't speak any English, but I knew exactly what the sound meant. <laughs> so how did you convey what you just pointed uh, at yes. it to saying, eh? And she neighed at you. <laughs> well, it was it was already in front of me, right? So we, we were having it. It was a, it was a degustation, and it was listed on the menu as pasti de caval, the lo- the local delicacy. So I was with a group of people, and we we just said, you know, feed us. We've got all these great, you know, Veneto wines, Ripasso, Amarones. You know, um, we started off with some so, suaves in Veneto. So Veneto for those listeners amongst us um, who may not be. Uh, aware Benito is the home of Romeo and Juliet, very beautiful, but the regions that surround it are famous for the Suaves in the white and the Amarones, Valpolicella's in the reds. So, uh, yeah, we had several of uh, the local delicacies, including Pasti de Caval. Do you know, the, the term local Yum. delicacy just sounds like a tourist trap. Like they've got, <laughs> they, they've got, stu- they got cheap cuts and the tourists can have that. <laughs> But I was going to ask, look, I could, I could ask you many, many questions about this because I've, I've brought up a little map to try and jog my memory of Italian wine regions and there's some cracking regions around Italy. I mean, I know I've been mean about it, but gosh, there's yep. some good places. I, I, I'm, I did have a personal question, which I won't ask. Actually, I'll ask something that the listener might like to hear about. What would you put with Pinot Grigio? Because there's plenty of Pinot Grigio getting around Australia these days. What is the appropriate food match there? I just yeah, tell well, people, I, mean, I tend to just I mean, tell Pinot people Grigio, it's, a, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a soft white, and you just pair with you know, it's softer softer meals, maybe some seafood, but mostly it's a enjoying the sun kind of wine. I, I don't have any hard go tos that you'd have with it. Maybe a maybe a white creamy pasta. Maybe that sort of thing. What would you well, do? Well, yeah, I, I mean, you're you're not too far wrong there. Like, if you think right, so if you think from where it's from, it's from Friuli or the Alto DJ, so north of Veneto, up near the um, right up near the, the border there. So right up near the Alps, right right up high. It's not the Alps there, but your partner, it's the Dolomites. Um, and so, and you think about. Gris, right? So Gris has a lot of acid to it. It has a lot of um, texture to it. It also has a really wide aromatic spectrum. And so then we have to think about how we, you know, how we kind of muscle in on the food there. So, you know, it's going to work with cheese really well. Um, it, it, as you say, it's a, it's a light and crisp wine, Lukey. It goes great with, you know, some seafood snacks, shellfish, oysters, salty fish would be really, really good. Yeah. Um, hard cheeses go really, really, really well. 
but I actually just like it. Again, you know, just with a little bit linguine, maybe just some anchovies, lemon, olive oil, a little bit of chili. Very, very light, very, very simple, just like the wine. The wine would be considered light, crisp, sometimes a little bit fruity. Just keep your dishes like that, light and crisp, a little bit fruity, you know, like you don't want it. You don't want masses of blue cheese and things like that. You don't want anything full flavoured. You know, you could even get away with some of your mild curries or your mild soups. You don't want anything too spicy. Um, yeah, you know, it would cut through a really simple springtime minestrone, like a vegetable soup, really easily. Um, yeah, so it's when you might get to, say, something like your Alsatian Pinot Gris, which have got hints of sugar, that you might start to you know, rock some of those heavier dishes because you've got the sugar that would cope with the spice of a hectic Rogan Josh or it would cope with the fat of an aged, mature cheese and things like that. So, um, I mean, in, in Alsace, they, they, they consider foie gras the most perfect match for Pinot Gris. So, you know, if you went to Bordeaux, they would consider um, foie gras the perfect match for Sauternes. So it's horses for courses, right? So... Horses are a bit of a theme of today's episode, <laughs> inadvertently. It's horses for Amarone. That's what you've told us so far. Um, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll jump quickly because we're pretty much out of time, but we'll, we'll, we'll power through the um, question for the day. If anybody had any questions that they wanted to know about mm. Italian food and wine matching, chuck it in. Luke's talk wine at gmail.com. We can go through this. Prosecco, there's uh, uh, Neo Alba, there's Suave, there's other regions that we didn't get into. So ask away if you wanted to know more. But, Luke, I had a question this week from someone saying mm. that a wine was past its best. And it's hard for you to tell because obviously you Ooh. don't know the wine and you haven't, you haven't tasted it. But if, how, do you dis- how would you describe, what are you thinking of when you see a wine past its best? best and, and for me this wine just to give you some uh, uh, boundaries to, to work with I saw that I, I had tasted it I saw that the fruit wasn't so much there but there's still plenty of acid still plenty on the palate and so I told the, the customer who, who agreed with me and they were quite happy to keep the wine that the, the, the extra bottles they had they agreed that yeah will work well with food um, because there's a nice acid and nice pal- not, not some nice palate weight, but it wasn't, it didn't have a lot more going on. And one of the things you usually think of as disappearing from an aged wine is the acid. So where, at what point, what do you, what do you see as being a sign that a wine is going past its best? Well, it's a really great question. There's, there's, Three things. In, in short, the answer is I'm really looking for fruit, acid, and tannin. And that's what they're, they're the three things that fall away first. Fruit will fall away first. Acid will fall away third. And tannin, uh, beg your pardon, acid will fall, fall away second. And tannin third. Yep. But the, the question is how do I know if a wine is past its peak? When I taste the wine, not knowing the wine you were referring to, but if I had a wine, an aged wine in my glass, I am just looking for any sign of life, balance, <laughs> fruit, acid, tannins, winemaking. Like I'm just looking for a sign of life. If a wine is past its peak, 
it's dead. It just it doesn't taste like a great deal. It doesn't smell like a great deal, Luke Morris. And it also, uh, I don't like the term, but it, it's just flabby and flat. Yeah. And that literally, it, it's like tasting something used. Uh, and it's just, so it's got no more life in it than me. But it's a subjective thing. You and I might, you know, you and I might visit King Valley and buy a case of the same Pinot Grigio from one of the great Christian Delzotto's up there of the world and come home. I might drink mine in five years and you might drink yours in 10 years. And somewhere on the road together, we share a glass in about seven years. And you might go, oh, gee, this is great. But you might like aged Pinot Gris. Pinot, Pinot Grigio, Christian makes, and I might drink mine with you on the same picnic blanket and think, this is terrible for me because all the fruit's gone. Yep. So it's a subjective thing, but if you're asking the question of me, I'm looking for signs of life, fruit, acid, and tannin. They may not all be there at the same time, but I'm really looking for a sign of life. I suppose that really digs back because I'd... Uh... I want to disagree with you in some way because you, you, the way you're describing it as saying is it has to have some sort of fruit, some sort of body in there. And I, I just tend to think that it needs to, if there's acids, if there's something in there to keep it intriguing, that's worth looking for. And sometimes the wine will just change with age. And, and, and that's something I, I tell customers all the time. Wine doesn't necessarily get better with age. It will change. When is it past its best? Gosh, it's it does it is really subjective. It, it depends on what you're looking for in the in the bottle. I mean, I guess the question is, could there be anything more left? And I suppose if the wine has got acid and has got, when is it is it is best? Yeah, gosh, when is it, when is a wine at its best? When you enjoy drinking it the most, that's probably the only answer. Yeah, when it's open. <laughs> <laughs> that's yep. That's the most truthful answer. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and you know, honestly, it's the best policy. But I think as long as as long as there's life, whether that be fruit, acid, tannin, it may not all be there together. It might just be one, if not the other. Um, but that that is when a wine is. Oh yeah. You know, you you and I both would but, have had those very old yeah. wines that, when you taste them, there really is nothing there. And it's not just past its best, it's moved on to the other side and been reincarnated in somewhere else completely because there's nothing there anymore. <laughs> yep. Nope. Uh, speaking of opening bottles, Campbell, Absolutely what not. are you drinking this week? Luke Morris, I, I'm still on my rosé bent, actually. I, I came across this um, I, I came across this Cors- Corsican rosé, actually, so... Um, yeah, just light, dry, you know, Mediterranean rosé made from Chacarello, the indigenous red grape variety. Ooh. Yeah, the Farsi. It's the main Farsi, actually, from Corsica. It's it's just a beautiful rosé. It's from these rocky, Corsican black soils, you know, just bone dry. It's a bone dry version of Provence, effectively. Chacarello is the Corsican name for Mamolo. Mamolo is a the variety they would blend traditionally in Chianti. So it's got this real kind of full-on herbal note, fresh kind of scent to it. And, but it's blended with, in this case, it's blended with Grenache and Merlot and Cinso, and it's just chock full of flavour for 22 bucks. It's, um, it's a dead set bargain, really. 
Good stuff. That sounds like fun. Rosé is just, you don't have to think about it. Talk talk about, yeah, well, fun. That's it. You know, you don't have to think about it. It's fun. I'm not doing organ electrical assessments on it. I'm just glugging it down (laughs) at an alarming rate and it's giving me pleasure. And I think, and I think that's a great thing. I can't think of what I'm drinking. Cause <laughs> what about you, mate? What are you drinking? I can't think. I'm, 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 I've got a whole bunch of bottles around me at the moment, and uh, uh, I feel like I should crack something because I've, um, I've sort of earned it. I've, have, <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a lot on my plate in the last week, and I've, I've got there. So I'm, but I'm not sure what. Maybe some Riesling, maybe some... I have got an Italian bottle of something. It's not a classical region, so I can't even tell you what it is, but it's, um, it's in a foreign language. So I know that much about it. Maybe I'll try that and report back next week. Um, but thanks Cook some for your t- food first. <laughs> thanks. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe I have to put it aside now because I've got nothing to eat in the cupboard. I have actually. I've got food, but I've got a, I've got other things pressing on my mind. But um, I'll catch you next week, Campbell. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Nick Brown, for the music. And uh, speak to you soon. Thank you, Luke Morris. Keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellar's specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au